Stay with me, if you would, there in Matthew chapter 16. This week we begin a new study. We finished our study through the book of 1 John last week, and I trust it was a challenge to you. And um, if you've missed any of the weeks, you're um, welcome to go online and take advantage of the um, website and the sermons that are on the website there. They um, can get you caught up, get up, up to date on what we talked about through the book of 1 John. This morning, we're going to start a series, um, a more of a topical series. It'll be um, somewhat exegetical in that we'll use a text each week to be our foundation, but we're going to look at the, the uh, topic of the church, and we really want to uh, lay, the elders and I have been talking um, for probably a few months now just about laying a good foundation as uh, this year we're planning on initiating some and, and putting out some vision, and we're really excited about what the Lord is doing here at the church. We're excited that all of you are here this morning, and, and uh, we've seen a lot of new families come into the church, and um, we really have a heart to see um, people not just be at church as a spectator, but people be at church as a participant. And in other words, that um, we find out where you're gifted, and we start to, this year, we start to place you where you can take that gift that God has given you and you can use it for, for his church and for ultimately for his kingdom. So we're really driving that. I think that's kind of the message that the elders are driving this year. And um, the guys really felt like it was important that we lay a, a solid foundation to know who we are, to, to know why we're here, uh, where we're going, and to set forth that foundation so that when we do, we do start moving forward um, with these vision, with this vision that you um, are equipped and, and ready to um, to step in and do what God has called you to do. Every one of us has a purpose to, for being here. Every one of us, every one of you sitting here, you have a gift that when Jesus Christ claimed you for himself, he gave you his spirit, he gave you a gift, and he placed you at Grace Bible Church of Hollister and said, I want you to use your gift there. And for a lot of churches, the um, those gifts are not accessed. And a lot of times people just sit in the pews and they are fans and not participants. And it's not any fun. And it's not, it's not the purpose of the church. We really want to activate what God has called you to do and to set you free to do it. And, uh, and that's what our heart is and what our goal is. And so you guys can pray with us on that as we go through and work to... to um, teach and, and train and equip and identify and, uh, and then place, and, and you can uh, participate with, that, with us in that process. So the study of the church uh, is also known as ecclesiology, and um, ecclesiology is just a term. We get the, the Greek term is ekklesia, in which we uh, get this term, ekklesiaology, means the science of the church. Uh, ekklesia is the Greek word for church. Uh, translated in the New Testament, and it just simply means a gathering of people, uh, people who are gathered together. A church really has nothing to do with buildings. Um, if we met down at the park today and we all gathered with the purpose of glorifying and worshiping Christ under the right um, guidelines and structures, we would be the church. So the church is not about where you meet. And unfortunately, we have uh, dumbed down the church to place right? We, we, we look at the church and we think, okay, I'm going to church today. 
And uh, we, that's kind of how we define a church. Many people define a church as a building. They define a church by a name, a denomination, or a religious group. Our, our English dictionary defines the church as a building for public worship. Okay? And so that's really why we talk about it the way we do. That's why we say, I'm going to church, or I'm a member of this church, and we talk about a denomination. We, we look at the church, and we see a church as, as being something that is outside of us. We're, we're, a, we're a participant in what takes place inside of this building versus the true biblical teaching is, is that we are the church, and that when we come together and gather together as believers if we're gathering together at somebody's house for small groups on Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night, that is the church. And, and they're working to, to carry out what God's purpose is for the church. So while many people associate the church with a building, a denomination, or a religious group, we really want you to know, we want you to um, appreciate and grasp the fact that the church is a called out group of people. It's a called out, it's a, a sanctified, the word sanctified means to be called out. It's a called out group of people. And the purpose that we have been called out is so that we could love God because the world does not love God, do they? God has set a people aside who naturally would not love him, and he has set us aside. He has called us by his grace, and he has done that so that we would love him. And we would show the world what it looks like to love God. And we would, show the, we would show the world around us what it looks like to be a beneficiary of the love of God. We've been called to love him. We've been called to trust in his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation as the sufficient savior for our sins. And we've been called to live in the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart for these purposes as the church. We see this all throughout the New Testament. And, and, in, and in three books of the New Testament, we see this um, idea really un, uh, un, unfolded or, or, or unpacked. Okay? We see it, first of all, in the book of Acts, where the church begins. Um, the church is really founded in the book of Acts, the New Testament church, the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, the, the, the sealing of the blood of Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church and the Holy Spirit is that which empowers the church. And we see that unfolding in the book of Acts. 24 times in the book of Acts, the word ecclesia or church is used. The second time that we see the word church um, used greatly is in the book of 1 Corinthians. 21 times in the book of 1 Corinthians, the word ecclesia is used, or church. And if it's interesting because you have Acts, which is the really the Holy Spirit outpouring on the church and the miracles and signs and wonders, and the church is really at this massive forward-moving state, right? And then the second time that the word is used greatly is in 1 Corinthians, which is, which is the time when the church is in a great downward slide, right? The church at, at really its most carnal state. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is really full, more than any of Paul's other epistles, it is full of reprimands and instruction. 
And so that's the second time that you see a lot of the use of this idea of church. In other words, here's the church in Acts. It's infused with the power of God, and it's forward-moving. Here's the church in 1 Corinthians, and what Paul is saying is, church, we need to get back in line with where we're supposed to be. A church is to be a place that is holy. A church, the church is to be a place that is separated for the glory of God and the work of, of, his, of, his, of his kingdom. And then the third place that it's used greatly is 19 times in the book of Revelation, which is the climax of the church. It is the, it is the point in time where the church comes to full fruition. Chapter number 19, we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, in which the church, who has been married to Christ since the point of salvation, but married to Christ in a sense where the marriage has not yet been consummated, almost like what we would, we would use the picture of an engagement today. And Mary and Joseph were engaged, but Mary and Joseph were called husband and wife because that commitment that was made between the two of them was, was so binding, it was as if the marriage had already been consummated, but it had not. And that's where we're at today. We're that bride of Christ that is being prepared for the great wedding. Our garments are being made ready today. We are being sanctified. We are being set apart. And one day we will stand and we will be married to our groom or our husband, Jesus Christ. And that's, what, that's the process that we're going through right now. And that's, that's sanctification. And, and that's what the church is called and set out to do. The church, um, the word ekklesia is only one of the Greek words in which we get the word church, the other Greek word is kuriakos. And this Greek word implies it, it, it is the word Lord, and the word Lord in a possessive form. Kuriakos means Lord po- possessing something. And then the word oikos in the Greek means house. So we also get the word church from these two Greek words being combined meaning the Lord's house or the, or the house of the Lord. So the church is the, is the house of the Lord. And what, what do we know the house of the Lord is? Well, we go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. What is the house of the Lord? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies, we are the house of the Lord. We are the church. I want you to uh, turn with me, and and again, the introduction is quite long. We'll get into our text here in Matthew in a moment, but Ephesians chapter number 4 gives us a a good definition of the church. With the the Greek words that I've talked about already, one of the ways in which many um, theologians define the church is a called-out assembly. Okay, so it's a a group of people who have been called out of the world, John 17, but but they're assembled together. There is a necessity for assembly when you're dealing with the church. It's not just an individual. The church is an assembly of believers. It's when the believers come together where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. The assembly is absolutely necessary. And there's so many reasons for this. It's because the Trinity is three persons, one God, right? The church is not one person, one church. The church is a multiplicity of people, individual people, one church. 
This is how we represent the Trinity. This is how we represent the Godhead. We can all get along with ourselves, right? But if we want to represent the Godhead, we have to learn as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have worked together in perfect harmony to accomplish one purpose, one goal, one vision, and one direction, right? We as a church are a multiplicity of people working towards one goal and one vision and one purpose. That's how we represent the Godhead. That's how we represent the Trinity. That's what the church is. Ephesians 4, the Bible says in verse 11, and he gave some the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every kind or wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is which it is equipped with each part is when each part is working properly makes up the, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love this is for all intents and purposes a great def- definition of the church this is what the church is about this is what the church is pursuing this is what the church is creating it is growing people. It is, it is growing believers. It is, it is maturing believers. It is stabilizing believers. It is equipping believers so that we can go out into the world and minister to those who are around us, to the, to the lost world that is around us. That is the purpose of the church or a definition of the church. Let me give you a couple of other definitions. Charles Spurgeon defines the church as an imperfect place, yet one that is still dear to the believer in Christ. He also defines it this way. The word signifies an assembly. The church of Jesus Christ is an assembly of faithful men, the whole company of God's chosen, his called out ones, the entire community of true followers of Jesus Christ. Whoever truly believes, whoever Wherever true believers are, there is part a part of the church. Wherever such men are not, whatever organization may be in existence, there is no church of Jesus Christ. And we know that that is true. No matter what we put on the sign out in front of the building, it doesn't make this a church. What makes this a church is the faith of the people who are here worshiping the Lord. This is what makes this a church. It is those who are following Jesus Christ, those who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to honoring him, to worshiping him, both in song and in giving and in, and in teaching and learning his word. All of these ways is what defines us as a church. Now, I want you to go back to our text this morning in Matthew Chapter 16.
So we learned- there, was a, there was a strong move in the, um, in the book of Acts to get the Jews to give the Jewish people a really strong affirmation that this was the Messiah, a strong, affirm, a strong move towards that as being a reality for them. And um, when they rejected the gospel, and the gospel then moves to the Gentiles in, in uh, uh, Hebrews 11, it ta- Romans 11, it talks about that quite extensively. Um, when the gospel moves to the, to the Gentiles, we see the, the signs and wonders and miracles declining. My understanding, my belief about those signs and wonders and miracles that were taking place during that time is that the Lord was, was giving the, again, he was giving the Jewish people strong affirmation that this was the Messiah, but it wasn't necessarily meant for the Gentiles as much as it was meant for the Jewish people. And the Bible tells us about the, 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 the next age of the Gentiles that they would not receive signs and wonders and miracles, but the only sign that they would receive would be the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, which was uh, pictured and represented by Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. And that's why we see that decline throughout the actual church epistles. But that's a, a different study altogether. I want to give you some foundational things out of this passage in Matthew 16. This is the first mention of the church. If we look at it from the perspective of the ecclesia, the Greek term for the church, this is the first time it's mentioned. So we want to go to the place of first mention and see what the Lord says. It's actually mentioned twice. The church is mentioned twice in Matthew, and then we don't see it again until the book of Acts. And so he's given us, I believe, he's given us in Matthew a, a, a preview of some things a representative of the church that's going to take place in the future that's, going to, that's getting ready to come into um, fulfillment. And so as, as was read earlier, I want, I want to just unpack this um, passage of Scripture for you, with you, and, um, and see what the Lord has for us. We're, gonna, we're going to really focus in on one verse, but the verses around it will we'll draw in as well. Verse 18 is the verse that we'll focus on. Matthew tells them this, and I tell you, or Jesus tells them this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus Christ gives us some pretty foundational, fundamental things right here about the church the body of Christ, the assembly of believers, those who are trusting and following Jesus Christ. He gives us about four or five things, and let me give them to you this morning. Number one is that the church is owned by Christ. It is his church. It is not our church. It is not my church. It is not the elder's church. It's not the deacon's church. It is Christ's church. Christ is the one who owns his church. He says in this verse, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It is in this word here that's used in the Greek is ego. It literally means it is a very emphatic term. It means it is my church. You can't get more emphasis on possession than this. This is my church. I want you to know Peter and disciples, this is my church. I'm going to send you out to do some great things. I'm going to empower you to perform marvelous miracles, but don't forget this, it's my church. 
God might do great things with us. God might work great things through us. God might allow us to counsel and, and help and encourage and strengthen and even lead people to him. But let us not ever forget it is his church, not our church. He owns it. I will build my church. I'm not going to build your church. I'm not going to build somebody else's church. I'm going to build my church. This is Jesus' church. We're talking about something that he owns, something that he possesses, something that he takes very, very seriously. It's no small thing, folks. If we look at the church of Jesus Christ as being our church, it's very easy to minimize it, to labor casually and lazily in the church of the Lord. But when we understand this is his church, we are not laboring for anyone but him in his church. He is the one that's owning it. He is the one who is possessing it. We read already in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you have from God and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his possession. We are his church. We are his church. Acts 20 and 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. We are his church, not our own. The Bible refers to the church as the body of of Christ. He is, when we think of the ownership, we talk about the body of Christ, we think of something that he owns in essence. In other words, it's something that he is. We, we think of owning something like, I own this stand, right? It's not the same as me being this stand, when Jesus talks about possessing the church, he says, the church is not just mine, but the church is me. The church is me. That's why he says in, first, in Ephesians 5, when he talks about, he talks about, he compares a husband and a wife and Christ and his church. And he says, he says husbands, cherish and nourish your wife as you do your own, as you do your own body. And then what does he say? He says, the church is my, the church isn't my body, the church is his body. Nourish and cherish the church as you would do Jesus's body. Because that's what we are. That's who we are. We're not working with something that is ours. We're working with something that is his and we're working with him. He is the church. When we handle his church, we're handling his body. This is not a small thing. This is a serious thing. It's a, a wonderful privilege that comes with a great responsibility. We are handling, we are working with the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are his ears. This is serious work. When we think of Jesus Christ owning the church, we think of how he is, in essence, the church. He owns his own body. And God help us. 
Listen, God help us if we don't take the body of Christ seriously. That's why 1 Corinthians 11, where they took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and some people died. You don't think the body of Christ is serious. That's serious. Amen? We want to get some response here. It is his. He owns it in that it is as he is the essence of it. And then the church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ owns the church as his lover. It's not just who he is, but it is his greatest treasure. It is his greatest treasure. We cannot even begin to fathom. We think about how much we love our wives. And and by God's grace, I pray that every man in here loves his wife sufficiently and significantly. But your love for your wife will never touch Jesus' love for his bride. It will never even come close. You feel all of these warm and fuzzy feelings and you get excited and you're just all about her. And he's just all about his bride. He owns us as a lover of us. He treasures us. He cherishes us. God, help us if we abuse his body or if we abuse the people that are a part of his bride. We have all people, we have all people should learn to love each other and and treasure each other. Not because we're perfect, because we're loved by God. He sent his only son 2,000 years ago to hang on a tree as a sinner Because of how much he loved us. We can love each other. We can love each other, not as perfect people, but as a part of the bride. He owns his church as it being his own body. He owns his church as it being his own bride. The third way that he owns his church is as if it is the household of God. In other words, the church is called in the scriptures the household of God. Think about that for a minute. Grasp, get a hold of that reality. It is his house. It is his house. When you guys walk into somebody else's house, you you respect their house, don't you? You don't do things that you know will disrespect their house. The church of the Lord is not our house. You know, you think about some of these athletic teams, and I remember when I, I still coach a little bit, but I remember you play on your home field and you say to them, we don't want, we're not letting them come in here and beat us in our house, right? You guys have been there before, right? They're not gonna beat us in our house, right? Famous last words, but sometimes it works. This is God's house. It's a household of God. This is his house. 
Oh, that we could see the church the way the Lord does. Oh, that we could treasure the church the way the Lord does. I will build my church. It is his church as the household of God. It is his church as the bride of Christ. It is his church as his own body. I want to go on. He is the owner, number one. Number two, he is the builder. He is not just the owner, but he is the builder. He says, I will build my church. So Jesus Christ is not just the owner of the church, but he is the one who is doing the building. Now, I know that's hard to understand because sometimes we think that we're the ones who is building the church of the Lord, and we become very creative and perhaps sometimes even interfere with the true building of the church. But here's what the scripture tells us, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the builder of his own church. He is the one who builds his own church. And how does he build his church? It's interesting because here's what the text tells us. Right before this, the Bible says, to Pete, Jesus says to Peter, um, whom do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I want you to stop and meditate for a moment right here. You had a great preacher this week and he taught you these things. Is that what it says? You went to a great Bible study this week, and the Bible study taught you these things. You listened to a great message on the radio, and it taught you these things, right? Am I, go, am I there? Do I have the wrong version? Flesh and blood hath not revealed these things to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The church is built supernaturally. It's not built in natural things. The church is built by the sovereign hand of Almighty God. The church is built by God opening up the eyes of unbelievers and making them believers. This is the sovereign work of God where he opens your eyes and opens your ears before you were blind and deaf to spiritual things, but now you see and now you hear and you embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you didn't do anything, he did it all. You see, he is building his church, and he is building his church supernaturally. We get crazy and start to think that we can do something to build the Lord's church. He is the one who builds his church. And when you get to the end of this text, he, when he builds his church, things happen. But he is the one who is building his church. He builds his church by enlightenment, opening the eyes of the blind, causing them to see. He builds the church by empowering. The Bible says in John 1, verse 12 and 13, but to all who have received him, who believed on his name, he gave them the right or the power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, God births a person. God awakens them to spiritual things. Ephesians chapter number two and verse five, he says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and he made us alive by his grace we have been saved. 
It is the work of God to build his church. It is the privilege of believers to witness of what he is building. See, you see, folks, our job is not to build God's church. Our job is to get excited about what he's doing to build his church. We think of witnessing as a responsibility and not as a privilege. Not something that we get to do, but we think of it as something we have to do. You know, the Lord doesn't need us. Right? He lets us be involved in his great work. He lets us. It's, it's, it's amazing. We don't get that, but if we could get that, it would, be, it would be extraordinary in our lives. I think back, I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, so you can boo me if you'd like. I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Well, you don't need to boo me anymore. We're no good, so nobody really cares about them. But, I mean, it's funny because guys will go through extreme, extraordinary labor and work to get on the team, Right? And they will, it's funny because in Nebraska, there will be guys who will go through all of some spring, spring workouts and then they will just simply get to the point where they can get their picture taken with the team and then they quit immediately, okay? Listen, can you imagine if in 1995 when Nebraska Cornhuskers won a national championship, if Tom Osborne said, hey, anybody who wants to be on the team can. You guys think that people would be like, uh, that's a pretty hard responsibility. Or do you think people would be lining up to join? See, here's the thing. We don't know what we've been, we've been brought into. It's not that we have to serve the Lord. It's that we get to serve the Lord. Man, we get to serve. We're a part of a great team. Makes Tom Osborne look pretty small. He empowers us. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.25, he empowers us by gifting us repentance. He empowers us, of us in Ephesians 2.8.9 by giving us faith. In other words, the Lord gives us everything. He gives us everything as a gift so that we can be saved. And then he guarantees when he gives us that, that we will be saved. He is the owner. He is the builder, number two. Number three, if you're taking notes. He is the material. He is the material. You mean we don't need a bunch of different programs and things like that to build the Lord's church? That's exactly what I'm saying. Do you know what we need for the Lord's church to be built? We need the Lord. That's it. We need the Lord. Revelation chapter number three, the church at Laodicea, at the very end of that church, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? Where is the Lord in relation to the church? He's right out there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. He is the only one that we need. He is the only one that we need. We don't need fancy things. We need Jesus. 
If you'll just do a, go, on your, go online and Google, Google revivals in other countries, and you will see that nice buildings are not what makes a church. You'll see comfortable seats are not what makes a church. You'll see good music is not what makes a church. You'll see good preaching is not what makes a church. What you will find is this, Jesus makes the church. Jesus makes the church. And what we need in the church is we need Jesus. And listen to me, what you need in your life is you need Jesus. There are a lot of plans out there that will try to help you get through your struggles and your difficulties and your heartache and your addictions. There are a lot of plans out there, but I'll tell you something. There's a plan that works, and his name is Jesus. He says this. I love the way that this is phrased. Watch this. He says, Peter says this, you are the Christ. And we can stop there. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one, right? Huge. You are the big one and the son of the living God. He didn't just stop there, but it says, and the son of the living God. And I want you to look at this. And Jesus says the exact same thing back to Peter. And he says this, you are Peter. How powerful is that? You're nothing. Peter's name literally meant little pebble, little stone, Jesus says, Peter says, you're the son of God. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter. And then he says, and upon this rock, which rock do you think he's talking about? The rock that you are the Messiah or the rock that you are a pebble? You know it. It is Jesus who is the rock of the church. It is he who is the foundation. He is, the, he is everything that the church needs. He is the rock. Again, it means large stone, not a small rock like Peter, but strong and massive. It actually refers to a man. You ever have somebody say, that man is a rock, right? Strong and stable. That's what it's talking about. Jesus, you are strong and stable. Peter, you're just a pebble. Jesus is the material. He is the rock. He is the foundation. John 1, John 17, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the foundation. No one builds upon, we build upon the foundation wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. We build upon the foundation, but he is the foundation. And might I submit to you that he is the gold, silver, and precious stones. He is what we build on the foundation. You see, he calls us in Peter, he calls us the building blocks, right? We're the building blocks of the church, he's the foundation, but here's the issue. We're the building blocks in this sense and this sense alone that whatever as Christ is doing through us, that's the church. So do you know what it boils down to? We're the building blocks as much as Christ is working through us. We're the building blocks as much as Christ is doing something through us. 
So what does it boil down to? Jesus is the foundation and Jesus is everything. Be careful about building with other materials, programs, events, activities, dramas, music, etc. None of these things are wrong, but they are not what builds the church. Be careful about building on other foundations, psychology, self-help books, 12-step plans, spiritual books and seminars, and experiences. These, again, are, there's not anything wrong with them all the time. There's a lot wrong with them some of the time, but they are not in any way foundational to the church. Jesus is. Folks, once we start moving away from Jesus as being the focus of the church, we've lost it. We might become great. We might become large. We might become significant. But you know something? All of those things are problematic because guess who's not great, large, and significant? That's right. Jesus has to be great. Jesus has to be large. And Jesus has to be significant. And then we have the church. He's the material. Number four. He is unstoppable. He is unstoppable. You can't get a better picture. Those three words define the picture that is mentioned at the end of this verse. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The picture of those gates of hell is a picture of a prison and those prison gates and those doors where people come in and out and the devil is doing everything in his power to keep us in and the Lord says, the gates of hell ain't gonna keep me out. The gates of hell could not keep Jesus in the grave. The gates of hell could not keep Daniel in the lion's den. The gates of hell could not keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The gates of hell could not keep Lazarus in the grave. The gates of hell could not keep Paul as a murderer. The gates of hell could not keep David as an adulterer, murderer, and defeated by and not defeated by Goliath. The gates of hell could not keep Rahab as a harlot. The gates of hell could not keep Peter as the denier of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, the gates of hell cannot keep Jesus from accomplishing his work with his church. He is unstoppable. You are on the best team there is. You will win every time with Jesus. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you will prosper or succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. There is nothing that can stop Christ's church. There is nothing that can hinder him from accomplishing his will. Listen, folks, if we get Christ 
where he belongs in the church. We are going to move forward like you and I have never seen or imagined because he's going to move forward like we've never seen or imagined. And that's what we want, right? We have been given the message of deliverance and salvation. This is our part. Go ye into all the world and do what? Make disciples, preach the gospel to every creature. This is our calling. This is our part. It's all about Jesus. He is the one who sets free. He is the one who binds. The Bible says that the message of Christ is life to life for some and others. It is death to death. Our job is to preach the gospel and watch our Lord and Savior set people free. Listen, folks, we've got to get back to embracing the power of the gospel. That message and simple and unique as it is, can set the most bound people free. It can. The gates of hell cannot prevail. The gates of hell cannot stop God's church. And what is our part? We've been given a message. And we're to preach that message and we're to live that message, and we're to love that message, and we're to treasure the one who gave us that message. And that's it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Man, folks, he has done everything. And he tells us, enjoy me, love me, and tell others about me. That's what we're called to do. So I pray this morning that this is helpful to you as we start to build on what is the church. It's so very important that we go to the roots and we find out the church is Jesus Christ's people who have been called out and set apart to love Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to represent Jesus and be a messenger for him in this world. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for our time together this morning. Thank you for the church, your body, your bride, your house, your home, and that you've given us a part to participate in it. And I just pray that you'll help us, Lord, to treasure our, our part, to love you, to love others, to share with them the message of the gospel, and if it binds them, then, Lord, that be your will. And if it sets them free, Lord, then that be your will. All we know is, is that we've been given a powerful message, and we've been given a great responsibility and privilege to present it. But everything is about you. I just pray that you'll do a work in our hearts this morning. Help us to leave here changed for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please stand as we sing.